There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. I am Jordan Hall, and as always, I am joined by the wonderful Brooke Destra and the wonderful Taryn Hatcher. And I know my friends here are happy with that opening night win for the Flyers, a 6-3 win over the Penguins. Uh, a lot of positives out of this one. I think we heard so much about the Flyers' depth. This team is scary on paper. It looks deep. Uh, it was not all talk. It was on display Wednesday night in that season opening win at the Wells Fargo Center. Joel Farabee, four points. Oscar Lindblom scores a goal in his return. Nolan Patrick scores, scores a goal in his return. Brooke, what was your biggest takeaway? If you had to pick one of those three, what were you kind of most excited or happiest to see? Well, first of all, I think it's crazy that Voracek was the only forward that did not register a point. Yeah. That says it all right there. And that's not saying Voracek had a bad game. That's just saying how great everyone played. But on top of that, I mean, just in the terms of of feel-good moments in sports, I mean, even when Nolan Patrick scored in the the Instra-Squad scrimmage back on Sunday – we were like, oh, my God, this is great for him. He's, he's getting back on, on the wagon. Everything's great. And then he comes out and he scores again opening night. And then, I mean, come on. The fact that they, they changed the, the scoring uh, from Konechny to Limblom just – it goes to show you that uh, I, just, I just felt so happy for the both of them because I'm sure that it felt great. And Limblom was saying all throughout training camp how – you know, he wants to help the Flyers as quickly and as, as much as he can. And to do that on opening night, I mean, you couldn't ask for anything better. So it was feel-good hockey, and it was dominant hockey. And, oh, man, way to set the scene for the 2021 season. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and now the Flyers are 5-0 and in their last five season openers. So they have a tendency to, I think, get fans excited with a nice little opener. But – um, I think we learned last season with the with the season opening win in Prague over the Blackhawks that uh, that was just that wasn't a mirage. That team was pretty good, and they were going to do something later in the season, and they did. Same with these Flyers. I don't think this is just a um, it's it's no fluke. I think this team is deep, and they can put up six goals. Uh, Taryn, your biggest takeaway from that season opening win? I mean, the thing is, is that is so reassuring to me is that some of the biggest storylines coming out of that game aren't even the biggest storylines in my mind. I mean, the power play, Jordan, you had a great stat the other or last night. The Flyers were four for 52 in the return to play tournament on the power play, and they were two for two after the first period. Like I said, that was Jordan's stat that I just totally pulled here. <laughs> um, you know, and, and that 
I mean, that power play looked impressive. The other thing, and I still don't think it's talked about enough, was I thought Joel Farabee looked so good in that intra-squad scrimmage. He, he was the beginning of the sequence on both of Kevin Hayes' goals. Like, he mm-hmm. started those sequences. And I get that sometimes the secondary assist guy, like, they don't get the same mention, but he was kind of the maestro of both of those goals. And then last night, he was the maestro that got – the way he handled the puck just long enough to draw defenders towards him and then dish it off to Gustafson, who one-times it, and that's how they score – both of their JVR's goal and Nolan Patrick's goal. Um, that was that started with Joel again, and then Joel ends with four points and gets his own goal. You know, it's some of these storylines, not to mention, oh, by the way, we didn't even talk about, I know Sidney Crosby had like a weird goal <laughs> that by all means, I think if any other player is in that situation with Carter, it's a scare. It's not a goal that requires so much hand-eye coordination to stop a puck out of the air like that so that it's dead mm-hmm. on the ice in front of you and then one hand backhanded into the goal. If that's not Sidney Crosby, that doesn't happen like that. Um, but Sidney Crosby, whether it was on the power play or five-on-five, five, did not stand out. And Malkin was bad. So, like, and we didn't even <laughs> talk about it. We didn't even talk about it because there were so many other positives to talk about. So I don't want to get like too high on game one, but you know, there, for me, there were a lot of question marks about what the Penguins and even the Bruins were going to look like this year, um, given their off season or the Penguins in the bubble and the way they perform this, that, and the next thing. Um, I, I wasn't sure. And obviously this game was more back and forth than the score shows for two periods in five minutes. Um, but at the end of the day, like when you have your fourth liners going out there and putting together maybe the prettiest sequence of the game to score a goal on Michael Roffel's goal, and then you just break things wide open. It's always a great sight to see. I mean, there's just, there's so many, there's so many positives that you could pull from last night's game. So true. Like you look at that fourth line fans and the team, Everyone loves that fourth line. Like, those are some good players. Michael Roffel's been in the league for a while. He's been with the Flyers. He can score goals. Scott Lawton led the team in, in uh, the return to play tournament with five goals. We know he can climb the lineup. Nicholas Albe-Kubel is such a good compliment, such a good bottom six player. That's their fourth line. Uh, there is a lot of excitement about the depth. And I was one that said, hey, I want to see it first. I want to see it. It looks good on paper, but I want to see it. And they put it on display. Joel Farabee was 11th on the Flyers last season in points. He had four leads the team. Um, he never had more he than He leads the league right now. He leads the league. The league. Exactly. I know it's half the league hasn't played yet, but <laughs> I'll, take what, I'll take what we can get. Exactly. Joel, Joel, is a, Joel is a really under, underrated storyline in camp, I think because there's just so many other headlines that grab readers first. So those are the things that you, you touch on first. But, like, Joel – I said this in a podcast weeks ago. Joel, last year when he came in, if you look at his, like, height and weight on paper, I get that he was listed at, like, 160-something to start. I actually – somebody was like, that could be years old. I actually don't doubt that he was 160 to start. I do think he put on, like, 10 pounds of muscle throughout the season. But he was very thin when he started the year last year, and now he's up to, like, 184. Joel used to look small no matter who he stood next to. And, like, Claude Giroux is not the biggest guy. Oscar Lindblom is a pretty slight guy. Um, you know, 
but they just looked like they were fully matured. Joel looks fully matured. Like Joel looks like he, he didn't shy away from physicality before, but now he looks like he's capable of combating some of that physicality as well as not just, you know, getting in there and mixing it up a little bit. Yeah. I think my favorite thing about Farabee is, and I've been so high on this aspect of his game, basically since he entered the flyer system is that he is able to have one season in any league under his belt and adapt so naturally to the style of play. Like he is just that kind of player that picks up on things quickly and is immediately able to apply that to a style of game. He did that in his first year at Boston University and he did that his first year with the Flyers. And while he didn't just make an immediate impact last season, like some people might have expected, I think he's really priming himself to have this kind of breakout season and to do that in his second year in the league for as young as he is. I mean, that's, that's huge for the Flyers and it doesn't look like it's stopping anytime soon. If you come out the top of the season, firing from all cylinders I mean four point game he it took him 10 games last season to score four points and he did it in uh, less than 15 minutes last night I mean that that's all that that sets the scene for the entire season for Farabee he's going to become such a crucial element to this team's success and I mean man it was so it was so fun. Like, I, every time the Penguins scored and tied that game up last night, I remember sitting there, I'm like, I'm not concerned. Yeah. I can't tell you the last time I've watched a Flyers game that was so back and forth, and I was like, oh, that's it. It's, I felt so comfortable that the Flyers were finally going to close a game out. I, no I, never, thought, I never thought I'd say that. <laughs> Here we are. Right. It's so true, Brooke. How often, third period – Wednesday night, they're up 3-2. Penguins get an early goal about three minutes into the third. And in years past, you would think, uh-oh, here we go. Penguins, Sidney Crosby, the Malkins, and the Flyers are going to blow this. Uh, they're going to crumble. What do you know? They rip off three goals and just basically turn it into a party. It, it, it turned into a rout. And that's just – that's the mentality of this team now. They are confident in all situations, late in games, big moments, early in the game. Uh, there's confidence across the board, and, and uh, that has to be exciting, Taryn. And um, you think about it, Claude Giroux, Sean Gattori, Jacob Borchek, and Travis Konechny, they combined for no goals and three assists. I think that just shows you how deep this team is. Are you, Taryn, are you, how, how high are you right now on this team? At, or are you saying, hey, it's game one and 56. Let's see a little bit more. Let's see what they do Friday night. I, I want to see Friday. Yeah. I do want to see Friday because, A – uh goaltender situation interests me carter has historically not been strong in back-to-backs i know this is not a back-to-back it's two games in three days that's not super out of the ordinary um but i am interested to see because at some point they probably are gonna ask him to play back-to-back games and it's you know i I have full confidence i've said a million times in brian elliott but i do want to see what they do because you also want to you know, we, we don't really think about this as an issue with Alain Vigneault, um, and we're very fortunate that we have Alain Vigneault as a coach of this team. Um, but you don't want to see anybody get too high on themselves. I think there was a bit of, like, what you just mentioned about Jay Voracek, Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, like, no goals and three assists also gives me a bit of, like, PTSD of the bubble 
and coming out of the round robin and you're just like, oh my God, everyone's contributing. We're unstoppable. Very All true. four lines and our defensemen are getting involved. And then it's at, at times you need, you need Claude Drew and Sean Couturier and Jake Voracek mm-hmm. to get in there uh, and do what they're, you know, paid to do. And I have faith that they will. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, I don't think you can, you can award anyone the Stanley cup after one game. That being said, like, I certainly feel better about the East. If the penguins look like they looked last night throughout the season, cause it looked somewhat similar to how they looked in the bubble, which was a little bit listless. Um, I will say uh, that it is really bizarre being in the Wells Fargo Center for a rivalry game, and there's the, the only energy in that building is on the ice, and that is weird. And so some teams may adjust to it, especially teams that had more experience in the bubble um, may adjust to it and do fine. I think the Flyers have a ton of advantage having returning players and their experience in the bubble, but that's weird. Like. And it's, it's also strange because I'm at ice level for most games. It's like a sound funnel, and it's also like an energy funnel down there. And so you can feel when a crowd believes that this team is going to, you know, pull it off. You know, how you're saying, Brooke, like you're watching, you're just not worried. When there's no one there, it's really completely on the players to source their own confidence and their own motivation and that's interesting to watch because here in Philly, I mean, I think Carter was really good at, at Wells Fargo center for a lot of reasons, but one of them I do think was like people just like sent their confident vibes at him. And I think he feasted off of it. Uh, it's a little, it is a little interesting. I don't know. It's strange. We'll see if, if like a, a team like a, the penguins can adjust to it because it certainly looked like Malkin didn't adjust to it last night. I mean, he was, skating around not doing anything so who knows searching for nba playoff coverage we've got you the old man and the three presented by bmw gives you an inside look into the world of sports hosted by former nba sharpshooter and duke legend jj reddick and sports writer tommy alter the old man and the three offers unprecedented access to the league Tommy and JJ discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. All month long, NBC Sports Philadelphia presents Headstrong, Men's Health and Sports Headstrong, a series about men's health told through powerful stories involving the athletes we love. Learn more on NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com slash Headstrong. Taryn, I, I think it's a fascinating storyline. I really do about how teams will generate their own energy because you think about it, no fans, of course, all season for the most part. And it's a 56 game season. So it's shorter. So like you're bound to, I think when playing the same team eight times and having no fans in the building, you're bound to maybe have a letdown here and there of like just not feeling the energy that you should every single game. And then these games are crucial. It's 56 games. It's not 82. So you can't, you can't really afford too many of those. So that will be a fascinating storyline, but Brooke, I want to ask you and Taryn concerns. Not everything was, 
red carpet and roses, you know, we will have concerns after one game, even a 6-3 win. Brooke, is there anything that maybe caught your eye in terms of concerns moving forward after game one? I think, and this is basically what I saw for the majority of last season as well, the Flyers are a team that progressively get better as the game progresses. Mm -hmm. And I really just want to be able to see them come out at their A game, you know, like don't spend the first 10, 15 minutes of each game kind of warming up. And I know that is the first game of the season and you really can't, you know, make an entire assumption based off of game one. But that's something that has been the case right now for, I feel like a year for this team. So if they're, if they're able to adapt and to kind of just start punching right from the minute the puck drops at the beginning of the game, I think it's going to not only solidify just how threatening this team could be, but it's like if if you're at your – and nobody's able to really play 120% from start to finish. It happens. You know, you're, you're going to fall off at one point. But if you start strong and you end strong, I think that's basically where I'm at right now. Come out strong. And then if they, if they have those kind of closing third periods that they had, it's – they're scary. They're scary, man. And I, I, I say it like this because national media is recognizing how good the Flyers are right now. And it takes a lot for people to recognize that in Philadelphia because no one ever wants to say Philly's good. Yeah. That's all you heard last night. <laughs> across the board is that oh man look at this team look at this depth look at how they're playing man I don't know listen if the only way you can get Sidney Crosby to score is on a fluke goal like that I'll take that a hundred times over because you know that's never going to happen again this season so I you don't know you don't with Sydney. you don't know listen, I'm not, I'm not Scott and I were talking I'm about this on post game last night Sydney Crosby Part of the lore with Sidney Crosby, I think, especially when it comes to the Flyers, and I remember one last year that wasn't like that, but it was similar. Like the puck just dribbled out behind Brian Elliott, and Sidney Crosby just happens to be there and just tucks it away. Scores the most infuriating goals because they always look like luck, but you know there is like so much skill and detail-oriented stuff behind it that it – makes you so mad um but yeah I, I i i have a feeling sydney will have one more goal this season that just drives you up a wall because i, I would love to say you didn't deserve that last night but you could you could toss a puck at most players slower than carter hart cleared that puck <laughs> and they would not be able to bat it out of the air like city crosby did and it's doubt. just yeah, and it's just so and, – and most of the time when you smack a puck like that, it doesn't stop dead. I mean, I know I already said this, but I'm just like – even Scott was talking about it. He was like, I, I would – honestly, I'd probably have to do it ten times in my prime, and maybe one of them I would, I would really be able to hit it dead like that. But at the speed of play, like, it's – I don't want to give him any credit because, like, I grew up a Flyers fan, but I, I just sat there last night watching it live. And, and the speed at which he does it, you're just like, this, this guy. And it's funny because a lot of people were blasting Carter Hart. Um, you know, not 
vehemently, but it was kind of like, hey, it's a bad play. And it, when goalies are outside their crease making a play with the puck and they turn it over, it looks bad. But a lot of that looked bad because Sidney Crosby made it look pretty good. Carter Hart is also not um, historically a phenomenal puck handler. No, that's his one area he needs to work <laughs> like, yeah. So I, I get it. Um, but I don't know. It's Sidney's, like, still – He's still really good. One of the best in the league. Like, I think I was watching something on a different hockey network that doesn't isn't owned by our company, so I'm not going to say it. Um, but they said that this was, like, the first time in, I think, seven years or something that he wasn't voted in the either number one or number two in the league mm-hmm. this year um, for top, you know, 100 players or whatever it was. And he's still number seven. Yeah. And he's 33. Yeah. So <laughs> – and he's coming off of a major injury year – and, you know, but, yeah, I, that's it, – it is on Carter, but it's not something to, like – and I don't think it's something Carter – I'm sure Carter kicked himself, but then he made – he had a bunch of really nice saves in the second period yeah. right after that that mm-hmm. shouldn't tell everyone, like, he's, he's fine. Yeah, it's funny. I was telling myself, I'm, I'm like, the one thing that kind of stuck out to me when I was trying to maybe look for negative – I was like, oh, I didn't think Carter played his best game. He still made 31 saves on 34 shots. Like, he wasn't bad. Um, we're just so used to seeing him be perfect. But, girls, I'm glad we're on this topic because I've been getting this sense, and, Brooke, I'll, I'll start with you. It kind of started with last season when you notoriously have seen the Flyers kind of be a tier below the Caps, the Penguins, the Bruins, those guys, those teams with those big names that have won. And they really played well against all of those three teams. And a lot of those were games, some of them were lopsided wins for the Flyers. And we had another one Wednesday, 6-3 over the Penguins, where Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, they kind of blend in a little bit. And it made me think that maybe those teams, maybe those windows are starting to close. And maybe the Flyers are starting to peak. And it's a cycle. You know, the NHL is a cycle a lot. And – it made me seriously think maybe the Caps window is closing. Maybe the Penguins window is closing on Malkin and Crosby. Maybe the Bruins with um, Bergeron and Marchand. Maybe they're starting to tail off a little bit, and maybe the Flyers are starting to climb. Do you sense that at all? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's about damn time. <laughs> um, but also, I can't sit here and just willingly write off – the Penguins because of Crosby and I can't write off the Capitals because of Ovechkin. That would be unrealistic. But that being said, I, it could be a hot take. People might roast me for this at the end of the season. I don't see the Penguins making the playoffs this year. Yeah. I don't. I think based off. What four teams for you, what four teams in the East do you think off off the top of your head right now, who are you thinking? Because that's a very fair point. The Penguins might be on the outside looking in. Yeah, so, I mean, I had in our predictions, I had that the Flyers are going to finish in the East second, which I thought that was being comfortable. I think they have a very strong chance of finishing top of the East if they play the way that they did Wednesday. But, again, you can't make those assumptions based off of one game. Um, You see the Bruins, you see the Capitals, and I think that it's that fourth spot that's going to go back and forth because, I mean – how can you not think that the Islanders are going to find their way back into the playoffs after they made the conference finals last year? Mm-hmm. So I, it's not, again, the East is the most ridiculous division Crazy. in the league this year. It's nothing new. It's been that way for the past 
few years, but now you throw Boston in there. It's like, <laughs> you can never catch a break. But yeah. if this happened a few years ago, I'd be really mad. We're looking at it this year and I'm like, you know what? Yes, it's tightly knit. The competition is high, but the Flyers can match it, if not top it. So I see a lot of things, but I don't see the Penguins making the playoffs this year. Ah, ha, ha, ha. Thank Karen, God. Murphy's taking a lot of joy in saying that. I, I just, I find her. so much joy when the Penguins lose, and it hasn't yeah. happened a lot. It happened a few times last year, but over, over the past few years, it has stunk. It's been crappy. I yeah. need to enjoy it. Let's start the season off on a high note. I think fans are going to be on board with Brooke there. Taryn, what about you? Do you think the Penguins could be on the outside looking in with, in this division? Yeah, I mean, I was looking at um, – I was, I was looking at – I was listening to Elliot Friedman's podcast, and to, to me, like, he is gospel. He knows everything, yeah. and, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was saying there, there is two really good teams are not going to make the playoffs of the East, two very good teams that would make the playoffs – easily if not win the division in any other division will not make the playoffs and it could there is a high probability it could be the penguins or even the bruins given the loss of chara and tory krug so there's you know and and posternock is dealing with an injury and literally just skated for the first time like i think a few days ago mm-hmm. and patrice bergeron is now you know i, I mean he's he's still bergeron and I think he's 46. Still always in the Selkie conversation, you know. But the perfection line at this point is showing hairline fractures, you know, and, and you start It's to an wonder, average line. Well, <laughs> let's, let's, re, let's rename them for this season. Uh, but um, been perfect for a minute. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, there's, uh, like, the thing, the, the biggest thing in the East that scares me, I mean, I think... I think Washington still has a lot left in the tank, obviously. I think it's, for me, it's the Flyers and Islanders. And I think that's actually the battle at the top of the division because I just think that the Islanders give the Flyers fits. It's like they do. Flyers not play their best hockey by any means um, against the, the Islanders, obviously, in the bubble. That being said, you know, and, and Friedman had said this as well, the, the Islanders really built a team that's suited to navigating any kind of rough waters because it's very much, this is your responsibility. This is your job. This is what you do. And they never stray. That is what they do. And there was talks about maybe Barzell not wanting to resign because that's not a fun brand of hockey for him to play, especially the way he plays the game and this, that, and the next thing and everything in between. But that does prepare a team for this situation. And I'll be very interested to see what what they look like and how they play. Um, But yeah, I I mean, especially looking at a, at a Pittsburgh team where the guys who normally draw your eye really, I mean, if you had told me, if you taken away numbers off all the jerseys, given where I was sitting for probably like 80% of the game, I couldn't, have told you who was Crosby or who was Malkin other than the fact that Malkin's a giant. So, um, and that's partially credit to the flyers, like especially five on five. I mean, really blended in. Um, I'm sure that will change though. My biggest concern and you mentioned it before is that 
some of these teams are going to take longer to ramp up to the speed of play, and some of them will get there. You know, the, the Flyers look like they are kind of there. That's partially due to the fact that Elaine Vigneault is the best preparation coach, I think, in the league. But I, my concern becomes, and that's why I said before I'd like to see a larger sample size before I say they're going to go to the Stanley Cup final, um, how they adjust when other teams ramp up to speed of play. You would hope at that point the Flyers have already adjusted to speed of play, so now they're ramping up to midseason form and, you know, postseason form. But, yeah, the, the Penguins are not in a great – spot and we mentioned it yesterday on the po- or on the pregame show flyers have the 11th best odds to win the stanley cup preseason odds but they were the third most popular pick in that category by betters so behind the blackhawks which if you're putting your money on the blackhawks god bless your soul but <laughs> i don't know what you're watching and um I'm trying to think, and the abs, who that, I mean, that makes sense to me. The abs are kind of Stanley Cup or bust at this point. But, um, yeah, I just, I, I see, I look into the future, I think the Islanders are going to be a force to be reckoned with within this division, and I think the Flyers are as well. And I think the Caps get that third spot, and then it's Bruins and Penguins trying to figure it out because I don't think Boston is who they were last year. And a lot of people don't think Boston is who they were last year. So we shall see. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Flyers Talk is presented by Wells Fargo. Whenever our communities need us, Wells Fargo is here to help. It should be a really fun division. Like we said, it is stacked. It's going to be competitive hockey, a lot of big names, a lot of big teams, Uh, even a team like the Sabres. uh, They have Jack Eichel and they go out and get a guy like Taylor Hall and people really don't think they have a shot in this division. That's how deep it is. Um, Yeah, for concerns for me, uh, I do worry about their five, the Flyers' five on five play a little bit. I thought they could have been better. There were some instances uh, in the night where I thought the Penguins really pinned them in the defensive zone and Flyers had a ton of trouble. I think if the Penguins capitalize on a few chances there, could be a different game. Um, and, and, and then I'm really with Taryn there too, and I'm sure Brooke uh, probably feels the same way. The Islanders definitely scare me. I just think a stylistic matchup, uh, it's just not a good one for the Flyers. Uh, so they're going to be in the Flyers' way. Uh, I will say I'm really looking forward to the Flyers and Islanders playing uh, for sure. Are you? I I'm hate not. watching the Islanders play. I hate no. it. I if I was an Islanders fan, I would love it. 
It is the most infuriating it brand is. of hockey mm-hmm. to watch. <laughs> I, think they, I think they infuriated the Flyers a lot last season. I really do. You could tell they are frustrating to play against. Um, as a spectator, for me just watching, you could sense that. I'm excited just for the story. I want to really see how these teams match up again. Um, I want to see what it's like with the Flyers having Lindblom and Patrick back. Um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm really anxious to see that. Yeah. But, uh, Brooke, I wanted to ask you and Taryn, what did you guys think of the defensive pairs? We didn't talk a whole lot about that. Shane Gosses' pair was not available due to COVID protocol. Um, what did you think of the, defenses, the defensive pairs? It was kind of our first, first look, really, at some of those guys. Is that public knowledge now? Yeah, uh, yeah. the league announced it last night that Gosses' okay. pair was out because of COVID protocol. Uh, COVID protocol, you can, we have it on the website at NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com. It can be, a, a player can be out for COVID protocol for a number of factors, and the league outlines that. So it's, it's not that he definitively or def- definitely tested positive for COVID. It could be a number of things yeah. that the league and, is taking. And his, this on. was something that, and I'll, uh, you know, most people know this, so I, I hope I'm not overstepping stepping and saying this because it's going to be a concern throughout the league. Gossip Bear's fiance works, she is a nurse. Right. And I remember when I was traveling with the team when COVID's rumblings first started before the season was paused, my roommates at the time were two nurses. Mm-hmm. And I had heard of plenty of other players around the league who have significant others or parents or brothers and sisters who work in hospitals. Um, and there was a lot of like, that being said, my mom works at a hospital. All of the hospital workers she works with are fine and if any of them get it they say point blank 100 percent they did not get it at work so you know it but it could be as simple as his fiance was exposed you know vis-a-vis etc etc but um i don't know that that's the case i have not heard anything about it so that's but it's just an interesting storyline to keep track of throughout the league as we see it popping up all over the place um yeah you know especially teams hit hard like dallas that this is going to be a very real issue. You can't expect to ask a player to not see or be around certain family members, fiancés. You know, if your kids go to school, I mean, kids at school are going to be probably the, the most dicey part would be my guess, but um, sorry, went on a COVID tangent. But it is, <laughs> I mean, it was something that was mentioned to me when I was traveling with the team was like, oh, two of your roommates are nurses. This was before anybody knew anything and there are PPE concerns and everything else. But um, it's just, it'll be interesting to see how they, they combat that. Yeah, and, and the COVID protocol is very thorough and I think good for the league. Uh, it's about five or six different factors of a player could be out for COVID protocol and they outline it. So, and, and you know what, if Shane Gauss fair, maybe there was a close contact, whatever it may have been, good for him if he stepped up and said, hey, Here's what happened. Yeah. We need to be safe here. You don't um, want you don't want a Dallas situation, right? Here, um, and you know what? I feel for Shane Goss's spare. I, you know, the guy was about to play with Ivan Provorov, possibly on the top pair. They were really going to give him a chance to be like, get out there and show you what you can do. You're healthy, uh, and what you know, he's out because of COVID protocol and uh, misses the opener. But I will say, I, I don't love the Justin Braun Ivan Provorov pair. I think the train of thought might have been. <laughs> Hey, put pro I, I didn't like it. No, no, no. I didn't like yeah. it in camp. I didn't like it in the game. Just nix it. Nix exactly. it now. I, I like, I like I mean, a lot of things that they do. No, 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 no. I'm done with that. Nix and it. I really wanted to ask you about that, bro. My thought is, okay, they want to put him with a veteran right now to start off because he did so well, Provorov, with a veteran guy. 
Who would you like? <laughs> the um, Brooke is shaking her head uh, furiously. But uh, if not Justin Braun, who would you like to see possibly next to Mr. Program? After last night, I want to see Gustafson. Okay. With Provorov. And I know it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting pairing between those two because, first of all, we haven't even talked about Gustafson in, on the podcast. I think he came out and did exactly what Flyers fans were hoping for him to do because the power. His, first, his first, like, two shifts, people were like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> like why, why, did we, why did we sign him? This single – acquisition that the Flyers got in the offseason wound up being a product of two points in the first the, both power plays so okay. welcome to Philly yes um I just think it would be really interesting if you want I don't like Provorov and Braun I don't think Braun needs top pair minutes it's and listen he's not he's not he's a he's a at par at best yeah. you know I don't think that especially with the kind of expectations that you're putting on Provorov this year, you're going to need to put him with somebody who has kind of the same amount of like driving force, I guess, when it comes to the game. Um, Cause they're asking him to do uh, a lot. And then you have, a, you kind of have him with like a third pair type of guy. That's more of a stay at home. No, Justin Braun should not be next to Ivan Provorov. Get it? Like, so, it's, so I, 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 I talked to Mike Yo on Tuesday, who obviously, you know, focuses on the defense, kind of coaches the defense, um, about what the thought process would be with Ivan. Because you're in an interesting predicament here. They love Travis Sanheim and Phil Myers together. And they would like to have set D pairs like they had last year. They had an ideal situation once they figured it out last year. It was very much Niskanen and Proby number one. Sanheim Myers number two with a Hagen Braun number three and everybody knew the role and everybody kind of had complimentary games um, and it just worked and this year the only remaining pair they have is Sanheim and Myers and for the sake of having any structure I they would like to keep them together mm-hmm. which I like but mm-hmm. then you have this interesting issue of Provorov had a good production year last year. Do you put him with Justin Braun, who's a stay-at-home guy, which allows Provorov to get involved more? I think the, the theory and the hope and the potential of the thought is good. In practice, does not work. <laughs> and then, you know, if you think about pairing him with Gustafson, and that now looks like the best option, but as we read, and he had a good showing last night, but as we read in the offseason, one of the biggest critiques of Gustafson is that he likes the offensive side of playing a defenseman, doesn't necessarily love the other side of it, which then forces Ivan to be a stay-at-home guy, which really takes away a, a dynamic part of Ivan's game. And I also, oh, now that I'm looking at it, I really don't like – the thought of having Robert Hag and Justin Braun on the same line because they are kind of very similar in play, like the stay-at-home kind of guy, the not-show-off-y kind of player. Um, 
but I just, just solid. Like, they're just solid. They're That's, solid, but it's like it. Yeah, I don't know something. It's it's fine. I, I mean, I didn't sit there and pick apart the blue line last night. I mean, yeah, there were a few there were a few kinks here and there that you're like, all right, we can work that out as the season kind of progresses. Yeah. It was only game one. I can't stress that enough. But this is where you. It'll be really interesting. This is where you know I feel so badly for Shane, and I want so much mm-hmm. for Shane to to be to have a wonderful season. I mean, for so many reasons, everybody in that locker room wants Shane to do well. Like he's just one of the most liked guys. I I think he's a great guy, whatever. Um, All of that is true, but you also sit there and you think back to when Shane had a breakout year, unless I'm mistaken, he was with ProBrow for most of that year. No. And he has a prime opportunity to have somewhat of a leash here to succeed in part because the alternatives are not exactly ideal. And maybe they do break up that Sanheim-Myers pairing and try a a Phil-Ivan pairing or a Travis-Ivan pairing. Maybe they do. But, I I mean, having Travis and Phil on the ice at the same time is such a force to be reckoned with. The amount of ice they cover – the offensive capabilities of both of them at this point in their career. Um, but yeah, I mean, the sooner the Flyers can get Shane Goss to back and hopefully he comes back in and he's, you know, Shane and he's feeling great and he's, you know, all locked in. This would be such a phenomenal season for him to break out again. And I know the Flyers want it desperately because that would be the ideal because then you can have, what, Gustafson and Haig as your third. Yeah, and, and they're that's playing a, that's together a, now. It's a pretty good third. It's a talented yeah. guy and a stay-at-home guy. It's like, you know. Yeah, I mean, you've, you've got a dynamic set all the way down, and then you're just packed in the forward group as well. Yeah. So, you know, best wishes to Shane. Just really a bummer for him. Yeah. Just, just – he, I mean, you just want – I just would love for him to have a breakout year. Yeah, I think all fans, all. Would, all fans would love – it was such a fun time when he came up as a rookie and scored 17 goals and was up for Calder. It was just, it was just so fun. And then, obviously, he had 65 points. Fun player. And I think fans are – you know, ultimately, most of them are, are really pulling for him. So, but we talked about it, man. Uh, they are deep. Forward, D, and, of course, they, we know what they got in net. Real fun talking about it with uh, with you, Brooke and Taryn. And we'll have plenty more as this 56-game sprint is underway. Uh, and the Flyers will see the Penguins again Friday night. But, Brooke Destra, thank you so much as always. Great chatting with you. Can't wait to talk to you again. Taryn Hatcher, thanks so much. thank you so much as well. Uh, we can't wait to see you with Scott Hartnell again on pregame and postgame live. And a special thank you to Ben Berry, our podcast producer. Thank you as well. And Flyers fans, of course, as always, Thank you. Thank you for listening. This is the latest Flyers Talk podcast presented by Great Railing. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and subscribe. And we cannot wait to talk to you next time.